You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. Our first reading this morning comes from Psalm 72, which can be found on page 485 in your pew Bibles. Uh, If you're new with us or if you do not own a Bible, please know that you can take this Bible home as a gift from us. A reading from Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound, till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain and land and on the tops of the mountains may it it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David. The son of Jesse are ended. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Gospel reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You can find it on page 807 of your pew Bible. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, 
Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. Um, As I said at the top of the service, my name's Will Clark, and I have the pleasure of serving with CCO at VCU. And if we haven't had the chance to meet, I would love the opportunity to meet you. So find me after the service, and we'll make that happen. In the church's calendar, we are in the season known as Ordinary Time. And uh, Ordinary Time is a season, as the name suggests, during which the church thinks about what it means to follow God in the midst of our very ordinary, everyday lives. And to that end, this summer, we've been in a sermon series looking at the book of the Psalms, and we're going to look together at Psalm 72 this morning. But before we do, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we believe that you speak, so we ask that you would speak to us now by the power of your Spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Back in May, Charles III made history being crowned the new king of the United Kingdom, and just under 11 million Americans tuned in to watch the coronation. And whatever else you might say about the coronation, it was extraordinary in the true sense of that word. There was nothing ordinary about it. And I think besides the historical significance of the event, it was this extraordinary character that captured the imagination of so many Americans, right? It was precisely the strangeness of it all, uh, the distance that we feel from it, the unfamiliarity of it, right? The pomp and circumstance. Psalm 72 is a prayer for the king of Israel. And you hear the psalmist voicing his wishes for the king of Israel. May he be like this, may he be like that. And scholars debate its original context, and the truth is we don't know for sure, but a lot of scholars think that this might have been used at Israel's kingly coronations, which makes, might make it feel like kind of a weird place to go look for advice on our life with God in the midst of our every, everyday and ordinary lives. Maybe even as it was being read, you thought to yourself, what does this have to do with me? Right? How 
how can this help us in our life with God? And so I wanna look at this Psalm together and I want us to see two things. First, it shows us a picture of God's heart. And second, it holds out to us the promise of God's kingdom. So a picture of God's heart and the promise of God's kingdom. First, let's think about the picture it shows us of God's heart. Israel's kings were always supposed to be a picture of God's heart to the people. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, long before Israel had kings, long before they even had land to rule over, God gave his people laws about how his kings were supposed to act. They were supposed to be chosen by God. They were supposed to trust in God and not make any foreign alliances out of fear. They were supposed to hand write out a copy of God's law and read in it and meditate on it every day. They were the only people in Israel who had to write out their own copy of the law. And the purpose of all of this was so that the kings of Israel would be formed in such a way that they could be a picture to God's people of what he was like. And the king is a picture of God's heart. And you can see this in our text as well. Listen again to verse one. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. What kind of justice does the psalmist want the king to have? God's justice. What kind of righteousness? God's righteousness. The psalmist is praying that the king would reveal God's heart. And in Psalm 72, uh, particularly, it's God's heart for the poor. God is a God who loves the poor and the needy. And this is all throughout the psalm. Verse four, he defends the cause of the poor. He gives deliverance to the children of the needy. Verse 12, he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. Verse 13, he has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. God's heart is towards the poor and the needy. So much so, and I love this. This is one of my favorite things in this psalm. Did you hear what the psalmist says belongs to God? Give him your justice, O God, and your righteousness. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. God loves the poor and needy so much that it's almost like he's possessive of them. This is the heart of God towards the needy. And you see this not only in Psalm 72, but really all over the Psalter. Uh, my mother-in-law is a docent at the Museum of the Bible up in D.C., and so we've gone a couple times and gotten tours with her, and uh, I've enjoyed that. There's lots of cool stuff that you can see there if you're a nerd like me. And one of the things that I found most fascinating on our last visit there, um, fascinating and horrifying, was something called the Slave Bible. Have you heard of this? Uh, it's a Bible with certain portions extracted, which was produced in the early 19th century for use among people who were enslaved. The Old Testament scholar Michael Rhodes, in his recent book, Just Discipleship, uh, says this about the slave Bible. He says, many of the editor's decisions are unsurprising. They cut out the story of Yahweh's liberation of Israelite slaves in the Exodus, and they strike Paul's declaration that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. What might strike us as less obvious, though, is their decision to cut out the Psalms in their entirety. Why would pro-slavery Christians find the Psalms dangerous? The snippets that tend to be well-known and well-loved aren't exactly threatening, at least on the surface. 
They draw our minds toward well-tended sheep and well-worn metaphors about God being an ever-present help. But a careful reader quickly discovers that the Psalms are obsessed with Yahweh's liberating justice for the oppressed. God's heart is towards the oppressed. He loves those who suffer injustice. And so one of the obvious questions which comes to us is, are we growing in having that same heart towards those same folks? One of the things we've said over and over throughout this series is that one of the huge gifts of the Psalter is that it helps us express ourselves to God. When we don't know how to pray, when we don't know what words to pray, the Psalms give us language to express ourselves to God. But the Psalms don't only help us express ourselves in prayer, they also instruct us in prayer. In other words, they don't only help us express feelings which are already swirling inside of us, they also go to work inside of us and they form feelings in us that we might not have felt yet. And the structure of the Psalter is actually designed to remind us of this fact. Uh, In verse 20, the psalmist says, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Uh, But if you keep reading in the Psalter, there are several more prayers which are gonna be attributed to David. And what you're noticing there is there's a seam in the structure of the Psalter. Uh, You can see, if you look in your Bibles, the words book three written above Psalm 73. And the Psalms are organized into five books. And this is intended to mirror the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, or what we call the Torah. And Torah means instruction. And so the very structure of the Psalms is trying to drive home the point that just as the stories and laws of the Torah are there in order to instruct and form God's people, so the prayers and songs of the Psalter are there to instruct us and to form us. Psalm 72 shows us a picture of God's heart and it goes to work forming that same heart in us. If you're anything like me, you know how far you have to go in terms of growing into this heart that God has for the poor and the oppressed. And maybe you pray against injustice and oppression during times of acute national or international crisis, but remain mostly unaware of injustices in your own city or neighborhood. Or maybe you're aware of the ways in which your relative affluence has insulated you from having to consistently care about the causes of the poor. You're aware how you can opt in and opt out based on what's comfortable or what's convenient. And I'm really talking about myself here. Or maybe even God is inviting you this morning to consider ways in which you may be sinfully complicit in injustice and need to turn to him No matter who we are this morning, Psalm 72 is given to us in order to form us more and more into the people who care about the kinds of things that God cares about. We need to let this picture form us. We also need to do something else. We need to let this picture of God's heart comfort us. Here's what I mean. It would be a mistake for us to over-spiritualize this text to the point where we miss God's profound love and care and concern for the materially poor. But it would also be a mistake for us to externalize this text to such a degree that we see how God cares about everyone else, but we don't see his heart of love towards us. God cares about you and your weakness and your need. One of the profound comforts offered to us in this psalm is that God cares about our needs. 
Not only the most acute needs in the world, and not only weakness and need as such, but the real concerns that you brought in with you this morning and that I brought in with me. And so the question is, where do you feel weak this morning? Where do you feel needy? Maybe it's in a struggle with sin. Maybe it's in some relational conflict. Maybe it's in the face of a difficult diagnosis or in the aftermath of some bad decision, or in the anxiety you feel about your future, or the helplessness you feel in your work, or the hopelessness you feel when you consider the weight of systemic issues. Wherever it is, do you know that God cares about you precisely in that place? He cares about you in precisely your place of weakness and need. And he is a God who delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. Do you know a God like that? What a profound comfort it is to know that God cares for us in our weakness and need. That's the picture of God we get in Psalm 72. And it brings us to our second point, the promise of God's kingdom. According to the story of scripture, we were made to live in God's kingdom, to flourish in his presence, to live under his rule, to enjoy his blessing, and to extend that blessing throughout the world. But instead of receiving life in his kingdom, we rebelled against him. We wanted to be our own kings. And so we tried to seize power from God. And because of this, we were alienated from God and from each other and even from ourselves. And this alienation is the root of all injustice and oppression, evil and death. But despite our rebellion, God remained committed to restoring us to life in his kingdom. And this is why he comes to a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he promises that through his family, his kingdom is going to be extended throughout all the earth. God makes four promises to Abraham. He promises him fruitful land. He promises him that he will make him a great nation. That's another way of saying that he'll give him lots of descendants. He promises him a name. And he promises him that he will be a blessing. That through him, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And this is what every single faithful Israelite would have been thinking about when they heard the words of Psalm 72. Listen again to verses 16 and 17. Land, may there be abundance of corn in the land. On tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon. Descendants, may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. A name, may his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. And blessing, May people be blessed in him. May all nations call him blessed. Do you see what the psalmist is doing? He's not just praying for the king of Israel. He's pleading with God to keep his promises, to bless the whole world through Israel. Not just to bless their nation, but to bless all of God's creation. And this is what the psalmist is doing when he mentions all of those places that we don't know where they are in verses 9 and 10. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. These are not places that most of us have heard of or have any idea where they are. But with reference to the point of Psalm 72, that doesn't really put us at any disadvantage because that's exactly what he's trying to say. He's, He's saying, God, will the, will the kings come from the far-flung places, the far-off places, the unknown places, the outer edges of Israel's imagination for their world? In other words, the psalmist is praying and inviting all of God's people to pray that God's kingdom would come, that his blessing would reach the far-flung corners of the earth. 
You need to understand, it's not about an earthly political pipe dream. Uh, It's about the kingdom of God. It's about God fulfilling his promise to make things right again. Listen again to verse eight. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. You might recognize that word dominion uh, from the earliest chapters of scripture in Genesis when God creates Adam and Eve and puts them in the garden to work it and care for it and see to its flourishing. Uh, It's a word that has often been abused and misused in the history of the church. Uh, But to exercise dominion in the way Psalm 72 is talking about it is fundamentally not about power, right? It's about extending the flourishing and shalom of God. This is why the psalmist says in verse seven, in the days of the king, may the righteous flourish and may peace, may shalom abound till the moon be no more. The psalmist is crying out to God for a king through whom God would do what he always promised to do and restore things to the way they were always meant to be. Now, you can, um, at this point, you can probably imagine Israel praying this over their kings during coronations. Uh, you, you may even be able to imagine Israel praying this during the days of Solomon. Uh, things are going pretty well. Uh, the kingdom's prospering. People are even coming from far and wide to hear from Solomon's wisdom. First uh, Kings 10 tells the story of the Queen of Sheba, one of the places mentioned in our text, coming and bringing gifts uh, to Solomon. But that does not last long. Uh, Solomon fails to trust God. He fails to uphold God's justice. And all of Israel, most of Israel's subsequent kings, uh, if you read the prophets, uh, you just hear rebuke after rebuke after rebuke for ways that they have used the poor and oppressed the poor, all of the ways that they've failed to be the things that Israel's kings were meant to be. And so you can imagine them praying this at a coronation, but can you imagine an Israelite praying this during the exile, Uh, praying that Israel's king would be so great that foreign kings would come from far and wide and bring gifts and bow down before Israel's king when a foreign king has just destroyed your city. I mean, can you imagine how how painful that would be? I mean, it almost seems cruel of God to have put that into the prayer book of of his people, given all that they went through. But I think counterintuitively, it was exactly in those moments when God's people needed Psalm 72. Not in their prosperity, but in their weakness and desperation. Because in that moment, it reminded them of hope for the needy. There is hope for the needy. In that moment, Psalm 72 created longing for God's kingdom. And it's into that longing that the gospel writer Matthew begins his gospel by saying, this is the story of Jesus Christ, the son of David. That's the royal line. This is a story of kingship. He's the son of Abraham. That's the line of promise. This is the story of promise. That's Matthew 1. And then we move into Matthew 2, and we see our gospel reading this morning, uh, the visit of the Magi. And what do, we, what do we see there? We see royal representatives from the far-flung corners of the earth coming and bringing tribute. They bring gifts and they bow down before the one who has been born king of the Jews. And just a couple chapters later, Jesus begins his public ministry by saying, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And throughout his ministry, he goes about proclaiming good news to the poor, liberty to the captive, justice for the oppressed. Matthew and the other gospel writers want us to see that Jesus is the one who fulfills Psalm 72. 
He is the answer to the psalmist's longing. He is the hope of the needy. The one who gives us a perfect picture of God's heart, a perfect picture of God's love for the poor. He is the one who comes to address our alienation from God and from one another and from ourselves. And he is the king who will finally fulfill God's promise to bless the whole world. As we sing in that great Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Of course, Jesus has already come, and yet we know that um, injustice, oppression, sin, brokenness, death, we still live with those realities. In fact, maybe the, the thing that felt strangest to us as we read Psalm 72 was a portrait of a leader who upholds God's vision of justice and care for the poor. Uh, that sometimes feels far from our reality. Uh, God's kingdom has come. It has been inaugurated, but we still wait for it to come in fullness. And during this in-between time, we might feel more like Israel during the exile. Um, but we need to let Psalm 72 become a school of longing for us. We need to let it train our hearts to long for God's promised kingdom. A day is coming when sickness, sorrow, pain, and death will be no more. A day is coming when we will see and we will live in God's perfectly just multi-ethnic kingdom. And there will be no more oppression and no more injustice. A day is coming when Christ the King will mend all our brokenness, address our every weakness, and wipe our every tear. That is the promise of the kingdom that we wait for. But we don't only wait for it, we also get to work for it, right? God has invited us into this work of extending his blessing into the world. And so the question I wanna leave us with is, how might Psalm 72 fuel our imagination for what it means to participate in God's kingdom here and now in the midst of our everyday, ordinary lives? How might we live as agents of God's blessing in the world? Maybe it's in your neighborhood. How might you move towards a neighbor, perhaps a neighbor who is different from you in some way? How might you move towards them with the love that God has for them? Maybe it's as a citizen. How might God be calling you to labor against injustice or oppression? How might we as the church use our various gifts, our time, our agency, and our vocations to be a blessing to the city? One of the other ways that we get to uh, practice this, that we get to embody this, is by coming to this table. This meal is a foretaste of God's promised kingdom. And so the invitation is to come and to receive a foretaste of grain and fruit in abundance. Come together with our brothers and sisters across the world from every tongue, tribe, and nation that the Lord God is calling to himself. Come and bring your weakness and need. They are no impediment to him. Bring them and let God meet you and minister to you precisely where you need it most. Come, eat, and be strengthened for the work of extending his blessing in our city and in the world. Blessed be the God of Israel who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your heart of love towards us. And we ask that you would whet our appetite to long for your coming kingdom and that you'd help us to love the things that you love. We pray all this through Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.